and pro This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chris Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chris Meyer. He's been predicting stormy weather for 33 years. He's a weatherman, a weatherman in Michigan, and he just signed off last week after being fired for refusing to take the COVID-19 vaccine. He was very sad, grateful that he had had 33 years to be able to practice his meteorological trade. But he said a cloud has fallen over the land of the free. The abrogation of our liberty and freedom, he said, under the guise of a pandemic is very disturbing to me. Hopefully, whether you lean right or left, you're concerned about what has occurred over the last year and a half. He said, I just wanted to go about my business, live and let live and keep my mouth shut. But this act by the federal government through corporate America has brought me to a crossroads. Our way of life, he said, our freedom and liberty is collapsing before our eyes. His name is Bohunk. Bonak, Carl Bonak. And he said, our personal freedom should be paramount. Many of you have taken one of these injections, and that is absolutely your right, he said. It is also my right to choose the medical options I feel are right for me, and I have authority over my body. Bonak then laid out what he had, ref- why he had refused the vaccine. And if you do, do you ever talk about him? Is he Lord of your life? When was the last time you talked to someone else about the Lord, particularly someone that wasn't even necessarily a close friend that you knew to be a Christian? Well, today on Viewpoint, we want to talk about some conversations that you and I can have with regard to those who are not believers. It's an effective everyday engagement we're talking about here today, a conversation. And our lives consist of conversations, and that's why we really do need each other. We really do need each other because God intended for us not to be alone, but for us to rub shoulders with others who are made in his image. But not everybody made as God's image has embraced him as God or has embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior. And how in the midst of a culture that denies truth or that you can even know truth and that everybody's truth is their own, how in the world are we ever supposed to have a meaningful conversation? So the question is, are you intimidated? And if so, why are you intimidated? And what are you doing about it? Or what do you think you can do about it? Today on Viewpoint, we'll talk about that. And I'm glad that you've joined us this conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And I wanted to share with you as we launch into the deep here today, an email that I received today from one of our listeners, a very faithful listener. And in sharing this, we're not going to share any names. We don't do that here on this program but it presents an issue that I think is worthy of our conversation. It has application even for our subject today. It begins, Hey Chuck, I just started listening to some of your broadcasts on one place. Keep up the great work. I was writing because I want to know if you have any data to back up what you or your guests say, or are these just opinions? I'm wondering, because one of my relatives is all about the facts. 
For instance, when I tell him about the global reset and how they're getting more and more illegals into the country to make it easier for them to follow along with the global government, he says that there are no more illegals coming in since Trump or any other presidents. When I tell him about the global reset, he says that it's just a ploy by the ultra-conservatives and we will never get rid of capitalism. When I tell him about some of the doctor's comments about the jab and causing infertility and the long-term death, he asks, where are the documents to back it up? So I think he would have been a good lawyer. Your help would be greatly appreciated. My response was, thanks for your thoughtful email. Unfortunately, I must disagree that your son would make a good lawyer. In fact, a good lawyer would seriously research the issues in search of the facts and would not be tempted to merely embrace what seems to be the prevailing opinions. He would also seriously seek to discover ulterior motives, financial entanglements, that would bear upon why a doctor, CDC, politician, and even pope or pastor would be motivationally prone to embrace an opinion. Obviously, our current president reveals a contrary view, declaring, we believe in truth, not facts. Truth to him, and the seeming majority, is not based upon actual truth, but rather upon the selective manipulation of facts so as to achieve a desired outcome. Real facts have no motivational relevance to such a person because they want to believe what they're predisposed to believe. And as I frequently quoted, a man convinced against his will will be of the same opinion still. For whatever it's worth, I always come prepared with evidence, both testimonial and documentary, for every broadcast. Then, based upon what I believe to be the actual truth to be drawn from all the evidence, I make a closing argument or summation still remaining open to consider any substantive countermanding facts or evidence. I must express concern that your friend's approach seems actually to dare anyone to present facts or evidence that differs either from his own preconceived notions or from those he perceives to prevail among his peers. Such approach to ascertaining truth could never withstand even nominal cross-examination. So I hope this discussion is helpful. It's really not about your relative in particular, but rather hopefully helpful to all of us who from the heart seek truth and, and its implications with integrity. Now, speaking of lawyers, friends, if you were a good lawyer, you would be prone to listen more. You know why that is? Because when you listen more, it's amazing what you will hear that will enable you to engage in a conversation for the truth. Without listening, you're just talking in the wind. Some of us are involved in talking into the wind when we talk to other people about the Lord or about anything else for matter. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to find how important listening is in the part of a conversation with people about Christ. So we want to welcome our special guest today, Dave uh, Sterrett, with his uh, book, Jesus Conversations, Everyday Effective Everyday Engagement. And uh, Dave, I tell you, uh, your book is a great book, very helpful. I think it should be tremendously encouraging to anybody who picks it up. Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate you uh, reading my book and having me on your show. Well, when we spend all of our time talking and don't do much listening, 
we feel impressed with ourselves, but the problem is that we don't really get the message out because we're not listening. Have you noticed that? I have. It's a reminder for me as well. I think uh, with leaders uh, like yourself and me, and even I think about um, you know other leaders in our nation, I think it's important for us to remind ourselves, and you do a great job with this, uh, having guests on your shows, but we need to remind ourselves to listen. Scripture tells us to be quick to listen, and it's when we listen, it helps us to make informed decisions. And I believe uh, that's part of the reason of the success of our, you know, of our former president, President Trump, when he had uh, people, regardless of your political beliefs, if you're listening in, he listened to even his critics. He listened to people he didn't agree with, and it helped him to make a decision. And I think if I was to respond to that letter, I think it's very important for us to be able to listen to people's objections to Christianity, but also to provide a, a defense. Uh, when we listen to um, those who may not agree with us, our critics, those who are skeptics, uh, we can understand what is it in their lives, what is it in their story that is driving them to be so um, skeptical, or maybe they're an open-minded um, agnostic. And when we listen to them, it can help us remove those obstacles, and it helps us to pro- provide a defense of Christianity. I know a lot of people in Virginia are talking about political decisions, about how they're mm-hmm. going to vote. And I think it's important for us to go to the sources, not just what is it, not just mainstream media, but listen to the sources themselves mm-hmm. and what has actually happened to make the decision. There you go. We'll be back with uh, our special guest, Dave Starrett, after this Jesus Conversations. We haven't really gotten into Jesus much. Oh, but we will. We've set the foundation. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismeyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. For those of you who have been listening a long time, and for those of you who not, this program is called Viewpoint, and the reason for that is that Viewpoint always determines destiny. Now, we're not talking about this program. We're talking about a viewpoint. There are no neutral viewpoints in the world. None. Every viewpoint has a consequence. Every viewpoint leads somewhere. Now, Unless you're in your car or in some place that could be dangerous, I want you to try an experiment with me for just a moment. First of all, I want you to look out in front of me and see what you see. Take notice of it. Take notice of it. Not just right up front, but take notice of what you see in the distance. Now I want you to take your hand and I want you to put it out in front of your face at arm's distance. Now what do you see? You say, well, I see my hand. Yes, other than your hand, what do you see? Or what do you not see that you formerly could see? Now bring your hand up halfway toward your face. Now what do you see? 
Well, you see more of your hand, don't you? And less of what was out there to actually see. Now, as the final stage, bring it right up within two inches of your face. Now what do you see? You see almost only your hand and nothing else. That's our problem. That is our problem with life because we tend only to see that which we perceive to be right up close and personal. But because of that, we tend not to see the bigger picture, nor do we tend to hear the bigger picture with other people. For that reason, my wife and I, every week, ask the Lord specifically to help us to see people the way he does to help us to see people the way he does. You see, because you and I go through experiences, we go through all kinds of life activities, and they're upfront and personal, and they seem so important to us. And because of that, and because of our hurry up, the hurrier we go, the behinder we get, we don't see people, and therefore they don't see Jesus. Interesting. That's the way it goes, and that's one of the greatest frustrations to our effort to reach people for Christ. Our special guest today, Dave Sturett, with his wonderful book, Jesus Conversations. It's a for, it's uh, available to you for $14. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, I've been doing all the talking contrary to what we've been talking about. Therefore, Dave... We're on a rescue mission, you say. Why is it that we don't see the people that we're portedly rescuing? Well, Chuck, I, I love that analogy that you gave about the hand. As you were seeing that, I was practicing that in front of me, and I noticed that on my desk I have a, um, a sparkling water, lemon lime, and I, mm-hmm. I've noticed how the closer my hand got to my face, the less of that that I could, of the can I could actually see. And I think it's true in evangelism and in our own lives. We just get so busy with ourselves. And some of those things that we're involved with with ourselves may be very good things, but it, uh, it, sometimes it, 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 it keeps us from noticing those around us, mm-hmm. uh, from having a love and a compassion for other people. Also, in our culture, I, I believe there, there are a lot of ideas that we, as Christians, we know that a lot of our liberties are being taken away from us. Uh, we have, uh, you know, we have those who uh, want to silence our voices in the community and our um, school boards and and in churches, everything. And so we often uh, realize we we see people who do not believe in Jesus. Sometimes we see them as in conflict with us. Mm-hmm. rather than seeing them some, as someone that Jesus Christ loved. That's a very good for. point, because uh, as Christianity Today in a latest article said, uh, talking about the division happening even within the purported body of Christ, rather than seeing people in the bigger perspective from Jesus' viewpoint, we look at them through the upfront and personal viewpoint of the difference in political positions, and therefore it blinds us to the greater picture. And so... The deceiver would use just about anything, and it's not that these various political issues are not important. It's that we get them out of perspective, and they tend to defile the relationships that we could otherwise have 
in leading people toward the Lord. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. And, and, and check this out, you know, when Paul was writing his letters, he told the Christians, he said, you know, when he was telling them to flee from sexual immorality and other sins, he was saying, hey, that's what you were, but you were washed, you were clean. And we need to remind ourselves that we were lost. We were like the lost sheep that Christ pursued and he found us. And look, if people around us, if they do not believe in God, it's not. It's going to be very unlikely that they're going to believe in some of the principles that we hold dear. I mean, even objective moral truths, mm-hmm. uh, simple things as far as uh, believing in the biological distinction between men and women, uh, believing in the unborn child's uh, right to life. Mm-hmm. If someone does not believe in God, that person is going to be swayed by whatever winds of teaching the culture is teaching. And, and so we have a great opportunity to love, to build relationships with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our family, with friends around us, people that we play pickup sports with, and say, you know what? Jesus loves that person. He loves them so much, he died for them. And we have the greatest message in the world to give them. The question is, can we do that without compromising our convictions based upon the authority of the Scripture? And the the underarching or overarching problem uh, in the conversation that you just shared with us is it's an authority crisis that we have in our country. It began in the 1960s, the casting out of all biblical authority, then came parental authority. Uh, virtually all authority is being cast out. So in that environment then, how do you bring people that you come into contact with through your work, through uh, going to the post office, the grocery store, whatever? How do you bring them to a place of even conversing about authority, which basically is why they reverse to God, and especially God is Father, because Father doesn't know best anymore? Well, you're exactly right. And I think sometimes it's going to be a process. We may not convert that person uh, instantaneously, we may not see the Holy Spirit work in their lives immediately, and then this person is saved and repenting of their sins. Now, sometimes that does happen, mm-hmm. but oftentimes the Holy Spirit uses us to take initiative, to ask questions, and to allow that person to discover their inconsistencies. You know, Jesus is recorded as asking 339 questions really? in the New Testament. He did far more than that, but he asked many questions, mm-hmm. and rather than always just teaching, he allowed the person to discover their own inconsistency. And, you know, one of the reasons I love Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis' book, is in that first section, he talks about the moral law written on the heart. Of course, Romans chapter 2 references this, but he said the moment you have someone saying that they, that they do not believe in moral absolutes, uh, a little bit later they'll be saying something like, well, that's not right, or that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, we see that in our culture as well. The sure. person who uh, affirms moral relativism, they'll say, well, don't impose your view on me. But before you know it, if you listen to them, they may start talking about things like rights. And that allows us to start with common ground and and then move the conversation towards moral absolutes. And, and then it, it, it opens up the door to talk about Jesus. Yeah. Well, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the problem is not very many people care about very many people. And uh, the reason we don't 
is not because we don't want to. It's because we don't have, we don't give ourselves time to, and our viewpoints have become distorted and myopic so that uh, we just don't see the bigger picture from God's viewpoint. We don't see people from, from God's viewpoint. We would never see Zacchaeus up in the tree as Jesus did, would we? Uh, that's a great point, uh, Chuck. And maybe a little exercise, even that you and I could do in your, your audience listening right now, even if they're driving, just make a middle note of five people that we interact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's the next door neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Let's make a middle note of five people that we interact with. I just thought of two people just right now. I'm new to Ohio. I've been living in, in Dallas. I have a new job, just got married, a new home I just bought three months ago, and all these new things. Wow, you're new, just, new, new. <laughs> yeah, and, but I'm meeting new people, and I just thought about you know a couple neighbors. I thought about a coworker I've been talking to, and these are all just people that, as we build relationships, if we started praying for our top five, our top mm-hmm, ten, mm-hmm. I think the Lord will allow us to have conversations toward, with these people and to, at the right time, bring up Jesus. I think uh, two of the situations that come to my mind uh, are, for instance, if you go out to eat, someone's serving you, the first thing I do is find out their name. Mm. And then oftentimes I will ask, do you know what your name means? Oh, that's great. Sometimes they will say, well, no. And I said, well, you know, did you know that your name actually means this? Oh, wow. wow. So now all of a sudden they know that you're interested in them and you care about them. Hopefully you do care about them, and that's why you ask them the question. So from there, there's no end in sight to the various questions that you can ask periodically as they come back to your table. It is amazing how God can open up the windows of conversation there. The same is true at the post office. You stand there in these interminable lines, and then you get up there, and it's just everybody, every man for himself, and everybody's struggling, then hurry, 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 and you get up there. Now what? Oh, well, they're just a clerk. They're just doing their job. Yeah, they are, and that's how they feel about it. Well, what if you gave them a reason to feel differently? What if you asked them what their name was? What if you asked them how their day was? What if you ask them over a period of time as you came in contact with them a little bit more about their life? It's amazing what happens. Chuck, I like that. That's something that I think I'll use. I have never done that. I have asked people their names, waitresses. I often look at tattoos and ask for the mm-hmm. meaning of their tattoo. What's the story behind that? Kind of the yeah. reverse testimony where we could hear someone's story. But that's a great one, too, is to ask someone, do you know what your name means? And, um, and that's a great, a great question. Uh, have you had any interesting stories from that, asking someone what their name is? Well, absolutely, uh, yeah. I can't remember them because this has happened so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there have been times when we actually have been able to uh, minister to someone uh, seriously. A a waitress or a waiter uh, standing there, and all of a sudden they realize, wow, somebody actually cares that I'm doing this. Wow. And uh, 
You know, the scripture tells us how much Jesus cares for us. Mm-hmm. Cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. Well, there's not very much caring that goes on in today's workaday world, is there? Uh, there's not, and I just think we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Lord, exactly. Uh, help us to love, help us to see people the way you see them. And, you know, Scripture tells us that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, mm-hmm. like sheep without a shepherd. And you look at him, and he cried out and said, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you, like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. And you mm-hmm. could see that Jesus had compassion on people. And, and I think you just bring up a great point. We can take initiative. One of the things um, that I, I learned from an evangelist named Rice Sprugs, he's he uses the acronym SALT, and the S stands for start a conversation. It can be as simple as saying hi. Mm-hmm. It can be as simple as just noticing a little thing about that person, maybe their pet, maybe their tattoo, maybe their hair, whatever it is. Just notice something. Mm-hmm. And then the A, SALT, S, start a conversation. A, ask a question. Mm-hmm. L, listen. And then T, after we've listened, we can tell the story. We can tell our own story, what God has done in us, but we can tell the gospel and include that in our story. The problem is that our propensity is to want to put the the uh, cart before the horse and tell the story before we ask the question. Yes, I think so. It's just, it's, um, it's gathering the right information to, to know the person, to mm-hmm. um, to initiate, to understand what they believe, why they believe it. I remember... um, Hold hold on to that thought until after this coming break. We're talking with uh, Dave Starrett concerning his book, Jesus Conversations, Effective Everyday Engagement. Uh, $14 will put this terrific book in your hands. There's no way we can scratch the surface today. you got to get it. It'll be so inspiring. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. And if we really thought the gospel was good news, then why are we so reluctant to talk about it? That's a rhetorical question. And I'm leaving a pregnant silence at the end for a reason. If the gospel is such good news, then why are we so reluctant to talk about it? May I suggest it's fear. And fear has torment. Yet the scripture tells us that perfect love 
casts out fear. Hmm. So then the natural conclusion would be that if we're fearful in talking about the good news, it's not so much that we don't consider it good news, it's that we're tyrannized by fear and tormented by it. Now, how can we overcome those fears? That's what we want to talk about for the balance of the program here today on Viewpoint. And I think, uh, Dave, that's really what your book is really about, even though you don't express it that way. And I think one of the reasons why uh, we're fearful is because of uh, a couple of words, uh, several words. One is the word evangelism. It's what we in the law might call a term of art. Uh, It defines something within the Christian faith, but in reality, it has taken on an aura beyond even itself. Even the word so-called evangelistic or evangelical has been distorted and perverted to where it is almost meaningless today. So the reality is, what does the word mean? If we're to be an evangelist, perhaps the better way to look at it is I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador from the kingdom of God outside into the realms of the kingdoms of this earth. And so I'm a representative of Christ. And uh, so I should represent him. I'm concerned about the people around me. And it's about a relationship established between one kingdom and another, isn't it? It is. And we are all called to be ambassadors. Paul said, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And this is from God. He's the one who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. And and he says, uh, Paul told the church at Corinth, he says, because of this, we are Christ's ambassadors. Mm-hmm. And we make these uh, appeals on behalf of Christ. He changed our lives. He's forgiven us. And I think for me, I, you know, Chuck, I grew up in a Christian family. I accepted Christ as my Lord as a child. I was baptized when I was about 12. But at about age 17, I was doubting my salvation. And hmm. I really wasn't sure if Jesus was Lord of my life. I mean, So I was, is your middle name Thomas? <laughs> yeah, it, it should be. <laughs> doubting but, Thomas? Know, it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> But I was like the Downing Thomas, is it? You know, and and um, but my middle name is Spencer. But oh, okay. um, I uh, I was doubting my salvation, and I think in that time it, there was a little bit of a struggle of my relationship with my parents. I had gone, to, I was involved with a Christian school I went to that my mm-hmm. dad taught at. Mm. I was at a um, uh, my father was a minister, and this preacher. I went to this event. And the, it was a big auditorium. He asked us the question, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Is he first in your life? Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me in this wicked and adulterous generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him mm-hmm. before my Father in heaven. And I remember listening to him, and I thought to myself, there are other things in my life that are more important than Jesus. And for one of those things, as I was growing, it was the game of basketball. Nothing wrong with that, but well, how I tall was, are I, you? I'm six seven. So I'm six, oh my seven. goodness, you're you're you stand uh, <laughs> head and shoulders. You're taller than King Saul was. 
Yes, taller than King Saul. And, <laughs> you know, I uh, grown up in Virginia. I ended up going on to uh, Oak Hill Academy that next year. But that preacher, as a junior in high school, he says, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life, and you're not sure, he says, you know, you put a stake in the ground. And he says, I want you to stand up and yell, I am yours, Lord. It was a weird altar call. I never heard anything like that before or after. Mm. But it changed my life to make a public profession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it changed my life. I stopped doubting my salvation. That next year, I went off to Oak Hill Academy, a school that had a great basketball team. I went there to prepare for college. And for the first time in my life, I'm surrounded with people who don't believe the way I do. Mm-hmm. Even though it was a religious Baptist school, I remember the minister would stand up and he would say prayers like, Dear Lord, some of us call you Allah. Some of us call you Jesus. <laughs> and I, I was familiar with John 14, 6, that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so I asked this minister if he would mind if on some occasion I would give a sermon. And to my astonishment, he came back and said, yes, that would be great to have a student share wow. a sermon. And so that gave me an opportunity to start preparing. I started mm-hmm. a Bible study. And as I would do that, students would come from other faiths who didn't believe the way I did, and they asked questions. But mm-hmm. I was very bold that year, and the Lord even used my sermon, and, and I was able to lead other students to the Lord. But I don't think I would have ever done that if I hadn't have taken a first step mm-hmm. just to be bold. Yeah. I think there's a lot of Christians who for them, they know that they need a Savior, but they don't want to come across as judgmental. They don't want to offend. But you said something very interesting a little while ago, Chuck. You said, perfect love cast out fear. Yeah. And I, you know, my, my full-time job is in medical cells, and I sell treatment for cancer. There's a lot of people who've been affected by cancer. If we found a cure for cancer... You'd be shouting it from the housetops, wouldn't you? You'd be telling everybody, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yet we have a greater cure than that, and that's the cure for our sin. And and so we want to proclaim that, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. Another thing, another word that's kind of intimidating, and that is the word apologetics. Uh, It sounds very spiritual, and we hear about certain folk who are, uh, noted to be uh, great apologetic, uh, apologists, and they can ask all kinds of questions and and uh, carry on conversations that uh, uh, appear so logical and so on. But most people don't think like that. And uh, so they think that I have to be like that in order to tell other people about the Lord. And the reality is, Telling other people about the Lord, as one person said, is is more like telling somebody, a hungry person, where to find bread. Yes, it, it is. We just need to start with what we know, and to um, if Christ has saved us, we can start there. Now, that's where I started. Now, it's true that, uh, you know, Peter, for example, when he was writing his uh, one of his letters, he said that our brother Paul— addresses some of these things, but some of his letters are hard to understand. That's what Peter said about Paul. That's right, Peter he was did. a fisherman. He was not an in intellect who had all the schooling that the Apostle Paul had. But I'm sure that Peter, even as a fisherman, we know it from his encounters, as he went out and proclaimed the gospel, he would encounter people 
that didn't believe the way he did. And so the word apologetics is a Greek word that means to give a defense. Mm-hmm. And Peter uses this term in First Peter 3.15, where he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ as holy. Always be prepared to give a defense for everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And so I just tell my friends, you just pray and you go, you speak, but you grow as you go. As we lead a home Bible study for seekers, we could show a, a, a video series on Jesus, or you could uh, just start with a simple seeker Bible study or something at work or in your home one night. And as people come and ask you questions, then we can dive in and we can grow right. as we're proclaiming the gospel. Well, the proper place for dealing with the seekers is in your home or it's out there in the community, not in the congregation gathered. The purpose of the congregation gathered is to disciple the saints, and we've gotten it upside down. And uh, because of that, the saints have become undiscipled, and the so-called seekers are being introduced to a false gospel, and everything is turned upside down. Now, that's just a brief statement. Uh, that's a, it's a viewpoint that I believe is consistent with the Scriptures and explains an awful lot of the problems that we've been experiencing in the last 60 years in our country. Uh, but let's talk about uh, some of the excuses that uh, we have. Uh, these are, we can recognize these excuses why we feel that we are not able to uh, engage in reaching other people, talking to other people about the Lord. I don't want to use the word evangelize because it carries so much baggage with it yeah. in people's minds. So, uh, one, probably one of the greatest ones is, well, what if I'm rejected? Nobody likes rejection, do they? No, they don't. But, you know, Jesus told us on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. So you say, goody, goody, goody. I'm yeah. insulted and persecuted. <laughs> yeah, and most of us have never done that. I mean, we I mean, we do see this around our, our country, you know, when I think about you know, in Virginia, I think about the father whose daughter was raped, who shows up to the school board and oh, yeah. arrested. Um, and, you know, me, I mean, I'm praying for Virginia. I'm praying for the state right now. But you think about those things. And there are people that are being persecuted. But on average, I would say most Christians are not frequently persecuted because of their beliefs in Jesus. Um, in this country. We, in this country, we yeah. just don't want to get rejected. We don't want to be get, now insulted. And Jesus says that we're going to be blessed. And so when we are rejected, we can be blessed. We can grow. And who knows? We may plant a seed. We may mm-hmm. allow that person to think about something that draws them closer to Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes we are surprised, and that person may come to faith in Jesus as well. So, Attitude is uh, everything, isn't it? We can say all the right words, but in the wrong attitude, and we can do more damage in 30 seconds with a bad attitude than in 30 uh, hours uh, saying the right thing. And so attitude is extremely important. That's why Jesus talked about the B attitudes. We'll be right back after this to talk about a few other excuses of why we're intimidated from telling other people about the Lord. Hang in there, my friend. 
Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Believe it or not, some professing Christians think that evangelism is wrong. They think that uh, to encourage someone else or try to lead them to Christ is just wrong. One of the main reasons for that is what is called not only political correctness, but multiculturalism. Multiculturalism and religious pluralism. It has so pervaded our land and the whole Western world that we somehow think that it's wrong to tell other people about the Lord. Well, interestingly, in Israel, this very week, there's an uprising because they discovered a Jewish couple who happened to be Messianic believers. They happened to believe in Jesus. And so there's an uprising in Israel because that is prohibited. Believe it or not, it's prohibited by law to proselytize or evangelize for Yeshua, Jesus Christ. But it's not wrong in this country. So why would we think that it was wrong to evangelize or proselytize in the name of the Lord? What say you, Dave? Yeah, I, you know, I think, sadly, a lot of people in our culture believe it's wrong because they've embraced relativism. For them, they may profess to be a Christian, but for them, it's just true for them, but they don't believe it's objectively true. Mm-hmm. And so that's a serious problem. But if we believe that true things that are true are true for all people at all times and all places, we believe in objective truth, then it would be unloving for us not to share with that. And I, uh, I quote a, uh, a famous comedian uh, from Penn and Teller, Pendulat, and he tells a story about a man who comes up to him, gives him a little Gideon Bible. And Penn Jillette, who was an outspoken atheist, and he was not converted, talked about how he respected this man, how he was bold, and to just give him a Bible. And he was very kind. Uh, he said this businessman, he was a Gideon, he gave him this little pocket Bible. Mm-hmm. And then he started thinking about it. He's like, well, if these Christians really believe that the gospel is true, why don't more Christians come up to me and try to convert me? And he asked the question, he says, how much do you have to hate someone to not try to convert them? Isn't that how interesting? Much do you have to, yes. And, and so he was saying that as an atheist, why aren't more Christians coming up to me trying to proclaim 
the gospel. Do they not love me? Do they not think it's true? Do you not really believe in what you're saying? Do you not really believe that there's an eternal destiny for each one of us? Well, perhaps uh, what the Los Angeles Times recorded for one evangelical pastor a few years ago uh, tells us a little bit more about the story. He was asked whether he believed in hell. And the pastor said, well, yes. And so the reporter asked, well, do you teach and preach about it? He said, no, not so much anymore. And the reporter Mm -hmm. asked him why. And he said, because it's not sexy anymore. Wow. That's what he said. So in other words, he doesn't really love people. He's only concerned about pandering to them. Wow. Yeah. So other people are seeing, say, well, I don't want to be seen as one of those uh, Jesus freaks. I don't want to be seen as an overzealous street preacher or something like that. How do you respond? Well, one is there's very few of those people out there. And even if we think that the person on the street corner is overzealous because they're talking to people, um, that shouldn't stop us from the method that we want to use. Um, you know, someone was critical of D.L. Moody once, and I think he responded to the, the, to the method saying something like, well, the method that I use, you may not like it, but it's better than not doing anything at all. Mm. And I think with us, like, for example, I know there's been a lot of criticism about those who stand outside of abortion facilities. Well, I remember standing outside of an abortion facility. I wasn't yelling, but just very calm at times, just asking and bringing awareness that there's a life-affirming pregnancy center down the street. I was praying with a group called 40 Days for Life, and through that time, we saw... Uh, we saw individuals decide, uh, you know, to keep their child during those moments. There was others um, that some of my friends led other people to a relationship with Jesus. And so I would just say, start where you are. Uh, You probably aren't going to be seen as an overzealous um, street preacher. And even if you are, who are you trying to impress? Paul said this, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but Mm -hmm. of God. If oh well, there. Yes. Now you've gone for the jugular because uh, one of the driving forces of our time is the pursuit of power, perks, and position, and uh, anything that would seem to stand in the way of of my reputation, my power, my perks, my position, and all of that. Well, I'm not going to go there. So that would keep us from uh, telling others about the Lord. Well, a lot of people would say, "Well, you know what." Uh, uh, that evangelism thing, that, that, that's for Billy Graham, or that's for D.L. Moody, or that's for Mario Morello, or whoever else. And uh, the reality is, evangelism isn't a gift I have. It's a gift I give, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I would say, sure, maybe there's people, there are people like Billy Graham, or, you know, these individuals throughout the ages who've just been extremely gifted. And God has used that, and they've preached to large crowds. But um, I also believe that every single one of us, as you said, the gospel is something we can all give in conversations with those people that we know. And, you know, this whole thing about saying, well, evangelism isn't my gift, we don't use that as an excuse with other spiritual gifts. Like, I used the example of this, living in Texas, I wish I was as handy as a lot of people like Chip Gaines of the reality show fixer offer. I wish I could just take a home, make it look beautiful. I wish I had that. But let's suppose that my church is doing an outreach to the community and they're going to ask me to pick up a paintbrush to help out. I'm not going to just say, well, 
serving is not my gift. I'm just not going to serve. Well, mm. hey, even if it's not your number one strength, God can still use you. The Bible says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, but God chose the simple things to uh, confound the, the wise. wise. Yeah. Yeah, the simple yeah, things, the simple things, the simple things. And in reality, if we think of ourselves other than simple people, we've got a pride problem that's interfering as well. Great word, Chuck. And that's, that's encouraging uh, to me as well. I know that, you know, uh, with you, you have a radio program, you have, um, you know, you, you're a lawyer, you've written books, but there might be someone listening here that they have access to a neighbor, someone who might not ever turn into, you know, watch uh, or listen to your show, or they may never ever hear me, but that person listening has access or a friendship mm-hmm. with someone that we don't know. Yeah. And God can use that listener right they now. They might even be able to barbecue some tube steaks on the back, in their backyard. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, but some would just say, you know, I, I just, I don't want to talk about the Lord. I just want to live the gospel. What say you? Well, the apostle Paul says, how can they hear unless someone tells them the gospel must be proclaimed with words. It must be proclaimed. What is the gospel? The gospel is Christ's deity, his death, his resurrection. And so the gospel now the scripture does tell us that religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless, is to look after orphans and widows. And that's good religion. I think that's something that we should practice. But the gospel is not just a religious act, it's God uh, pursuing us through a relationship of God through the person of Christ dying and rising again from the dead. That's the gospel. That's what saves us. And and so our good works, our religious acts, like taking care of orphans and widows, we should engage in those things, but that's not what saves us. Right. It's the simple things, uh, as someone says, it's the KISS principle, keep it simple saints. Not keep it simple stupid, but keep it simple saints. And mm-hmm. I think one of the problems is we try to create much too much religiosity out of our Christian faith. And the Christian faith is not about religiosity per se. It mm-hmm. is about a life. And that's why the scripture says Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, but I don't know enough. Well, then know more. Learn more. But get started. You didn't have to, uh, if, if your favorite team won uh, the some baseball game, maybe maybe in the uh, World Series or something, you didn't wait until you knew everything about baseball to tell somebody excitedly about your team winning, did you? Exactly. That's a great point. I'm How is sure it that... we're so paralyzed uh, by these artificial uh, excuses? I think they're just excuses from the enemy. Uh, <laughs> Satan wants to say that we can't be used, and I believe that every person who's just willing to say, God, I want to be used. I want to pray for this person. I want to become your effective ambassador to proclaim Jesus to those around me. And when they ask me tough questions, I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to study. I want to pray. Help me, Lord. I believe God will help those people to be used as his ambassadors. Well, our love will help impact people for Jesus uh, by, you know, as the early church uh, was known by their hospitality and by their love and uh, not by their religiosity 
Uh, they were known by their love, by their caring, by their manifestation of the truth in real life. So uh, we have to both live the truth and we have to tell the truth. And it's the truth that will make people free. If the truth makes us free, then the truth will make others free, but they have the right entitlement to reject it. If they reject it, they reject it. Jesus allowed people to reject him. He allowed many people to reject him. In fact, he allowed so many to reject him that at one time he had 500 people that were following him around, and then he made a statement, and every one of them but the disciples left. And then he turned to his disciples and he said, are you going to leave too? So Jesus was not interested in pandering to people's cultural anticipations and expectations or predilections. What he was interested in doing is reaching them as people, as people made in the image of God. And he cared for them. In fact, he wept for them just before he died. Looking over Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that persecutest the prophets that I sent, rising up early over and over for hundreds of years, and you would not listen. They would not listen. Is that an excuse then, Dave, for us not to speak the truth in our time? No, God in his love has uh, told us, he's commanded us. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples in all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son mm. and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Do you know that so that's the of essence it, of the Great Commission? It's yes. not building, making spiritual babies. It's raising uh, them up into mature life as disciples. And absolutely. we've missed the mark once again. We thought evangelism, making babies, was Jesus' ultimate desire, and it was not. He said, teach, yes, but teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. Wow. You know, you have presented an absolutely terrific book here, and we probably only touched maybe a third of the book. You have so many uh, chapters in here. You've got questions to help people understand how to ask questions that really make a difference. Asking better questions and listening. Memory tools to help people learn uh, how to explain the gospel, help people to understand the sin problem, uh, truths about the gospel, learning some basic things about apologetics, uh, reasons for God's existence without the Bible, engaging other religions, and realizing you are God's ambassador. This is a go-to book, my friends, Jesus Conversations. 14 